My name is Tessa Luna Luvia, and I am a former family law attorney, and Amber is a criminal psychologist, and together we are taking on these Innocence Project cases. Now that does not mean that every case we do, we think that person is in fact innocent, because sometimes, in our opinion, we feel they are guilty. Now I want to put a disclaimer in this video before we even get started that these are our opinions and that we are not stating our opinions as fact. You yourself can go online and research for yourself and draw your own conclusion. On November 12, 2004, Scott Peterson was convicted of murdering his wife, Lacey, and unborn child, Connor. He was sentenced to death and is currently on death row at San Quentin Prison. In part one and two, we talked about when Lacey goes missing and we discussed Scott's relationship with Amber Fry. So if you missed it, make sure you go listen to those two before you listen to this one. I will put the link in the description below. Today we will be talking about the witnesses, the verdict, and our conclusion. Let's first discuss the witnesses that claim to have seen Lacey the day she disappeared walking their dog, Mackenzie. Gary Armonian was a private investigator hired by Kirk McAllister, which at the time was Scott's pre-arrest attorney, hired three days after Lacey went missing by Lee Peterson, Scott's father. The reason for this is that the police were already looking at Scott as the main suspect for Lacey's disappearance. Gary was hired for the purpose of finding out what really happened to Lacey. Gary talks to Scott and finds out that on December 24th at 9.48 a.m., he heads to the warehouse and he believes that Lacey left the house with the dog shortly after that. He soon learns that there are more than a few witnesses coming forward with statements that they in fact saw Lacey walking the dog at the time that Scott had already left for the warehouse. First witnesses are Homer and Sue Maldonado who state that between 9.50 and 10 a.m. they are out delivering Christmas presents and notice Lacey struggling with the dog. The next witness shortly after the first sighting is Tony Friedas, a bread delivery driver, and he states that he sees a pregnant woman walking a dog on Loma Avenue at 10.08 a.m. Scott makes a phone call that verifies he has already left for the warehouse. Shortly afterward, Frank and Martha Aguilar spot a pregnant lady on La Loma Avenue walking her dog before 10.30 a.m. There are two more sightings by Vivian Mitchell and Jean Pedrioli in the same area. Diana Campos, who was sitting behind the hospital that was located behind the park waiting on her shift to start, states she sees Lacey in the park walking the dog, and behind her two men seem to be following her. The dog begins to bark at the men, and the men tell Lacey to shut the dog up. Another witness, Mike Chiavetta, also claims to have seen Lacey in the same park with the dog, and he also states he did report that to police. So in about a 30-minute time frame, seven witnesses come forward to state they saw her walking the dog, and all the time frames coincide with each other. Is that a coincidence? According to police, especially John Bueller, who claims there were never any witnesses at all that saw her, say they investigated all sightings and reports, and according to the witnesses, the police never came to talk to them about it at all. And during all of this, Scott was at his warehouse and can prove it. During the trial, the prosecution explains why they were dismissed. They claimed that the neighbor that found Mackenzie walking with its leash on and had put the dog back into Scott and Lacey's backyard, claims the time frame was 1018. So any witness that came forward after 1018 a.m. on Christmas Eve were dismissed. So at this time, it is more than clear that the police are only focused on Scott and are not even trying to investigate anything else that comes in. Now let's fast forward to Sunday, April 13, 2003. At 4 p.m., an infant's body was found by a dog walker on the Richmond shoreline. 
The next day, Monday, April 14th, at 11.43 a.m., a torso of a woman is found by another dog walker on the rocky shore of the Point Isabella Regional Shoreline. The bodies were discovered about a mile apart at opposite ends of an inlet along the Richmond shoreline on the San Francisco Bay. The bodies would later be confirmed to be that of Lacey and her unborn son, Connor. On April 18th, Four days after Lacey's body was found, Scott was arrested at the Torrey Pines Golf Course in San Diego, California. At the time of his arrest, he had bleached his hair blonde and had camping gear in his car along with $15,000 in cash, four cell phones, and his brother's ID. A dog handler was then brought in to track Lacey's scent and claims the dog tracked her to the bay and down a boat ramp and come to find out the item used to track Lacey's scent Scott had handled as well. The dog that was used was found to have failed two previous certifications and this evidence and testimony should have been thrown out. Also, Mark Garagos, Scott's lawyer, had purchased a similar boat, put it in the bay with a hundred pound weight, and every time the guy tried to throw the weight over the side of the boat, the boat tipped over and they did that four times. During the trial, several jurors were dismissed, including the foreman. He was insistent that they needed to go over all the evidence again. Had he stayed there, there may have been a hung jury but he claims that he was being threatened by another juror who then stayed on the jury after the foreman's dismissal. A new juror came in and within 24 hours they were ready with a verdict. Scott's attorney was not present. He had went back to LA thinking he had more time before the verdict would be in. Scott was charged with the murders of Lacey and their unborn son, Connor, and brought before the judge where he pleaded not guilty. If you listen to part one and two of this case that I covered, you will know that at this point, the police and the media have already convinced most everyone of Scott's guilt. With the bodies being found, Scott's strange behavior, and all the recorded phone calls between Scott and Amber, a jury did find him guilty. He was then sentenced to death on December 13, 2004. So let's get into the final discussion and our conclusion or opinion of Scott Peterson's guilt or innocence. Okay, the first thing I want to discuss starting this one is the witnesses that claim to have seen Lacey the day that she went missing. Now, I do want to say this before we even get started talking about it is that there's a lot of people that are on either ends of this whole thing and half of them say the witnesses are lying or mistaken the girl that was walking the dog for somebody else that lived in the neighborhood and I just want to clarify that the police and the media have already talked to this woman and she said she was not walking her dog on December 24th, but a lot of people still say that Lacey was being mistaken or this lady was being mistaken for Lacey. Okay, and then there's a lot of people that say that they saw her and a lot of people believe that she was seen and that the police aren't doing anything about it. As I talked about in the beginning of this video, we talked about all the witnesses and the timeline that everyone claimed to have seen Lacey. And I think the last time she was supposedly seen was after 10.30. Well, everybody is upset that the police are not taking these witnesses seriously. But what I have found out recently is that the police are claiming now, after so many documentaries have been made, after so many people are making a big fuss about it, that the police are saying now that the reason that they are dismissing any witnesses that are coming forward saying that they saw Lacey that morning is because the woman that found Mackenzie, which is Scott and Lacey's dog, the woman that found the dog and put the dog in the backyard claims that it was at 10.18 a.m. So any witness that came forward to say they saw Lacey after 10.18 was automatically dismissed. Now, my thing is, Amber, is how does she know that it was exactly 1018 because she's never really said. She said she claimed that she left her house, she went here, she came back, she wasn't really sure at the time, but that she would put it around 1018. Couldn't she have been off a little bit and it was really like 1038 instead of 1018? 
15. My question is, is why would the police dismiss all these witnesses who don't really know each other, don't ever talk to each other, but gave a perfect timeline back to back of when they claimed to see Lacey and exactly what she was wearing and what the dog looked like? Why would the police just not say, Maybe the woman was mistaken and it was really 1028 or 1038 and let's listen to these witnesses and let's let them come into court and let's let a jury decide. But they didn't do any of that and the prosecution wouldn't have any of it. Now, why do you think that is? You know, that is very interesting because here is only one woman who said, yes, I brought the dog back to their yard. It was 1018. And yet more than one witness says they claim to see Lacey after this time. I am unsure why they took this woman so seriously. She could have gotten the time wrong. Even 10 minutes more could played out this whole scenario a little bit differently. I don't know why they believed her so strongly about this time. Because I don't know about you, but if I saw my neighbor's dog running around and I brought them back to the yard and locked them in the yard so the dog would be safe, I wouldn't be looking at my watch, taking the time, saying, oh, okay, I did this at 1030. I wouldn't be checking my watch. I would just be like, okay, it's around this time. I would give like a scenario or an estimate. But exactly 1018? Is she really so sure? It seems very interesting and suspicious. It does. And I'm just wondering if the police made her feel like she had to give an exact time. And that's why she narrowed it down as close as she could if they were putting pressure on her, like, look, we really need a time. Was it closer to this? Was it closer to this? Would you say it was this? Would you say it was that? And I'm wondering if she felt pressure to have to give an exact time. And I wonder if she was interviewed today, would she still state that? Would she still be so sure of it? knowing everything that's happened because of it. I, I'm just, I'm curious about that because I've never really seen anybody, and I could be wrong because there's so many documentaries out there. There's no way I could have watched them all. So I'm just wondering if there was someone who came forward and said, you know what, let me go ask her. And a, and a reporter went over there and she said the same thing or something completely different. I'm, I'm curious about that because that, that is weird. Now, Here's something else to think of, too. Let's say all the witnesses saw Lacey. Let's say that all the witnesses were correct, okay? Now, the prosecution is also saying that another reason that they're not listening to the witnesses and they're not giving the witnesses any credit of what they're saying is because they actually brought a dog handler in. And the dog handler itself had tracked Lacey's scent down the boat ramp into the bay and they're saying that because this dog did this that Lacey was 100% on that boat ramp and 100% in that bay because that dog tracked it but they found out now this is crazy the defense found out that this dog had failed its two previous certifications and they found out that what they used to track Lacey's scent had also been owned and touched by Scott. So could the dog been have been tracking Scott's scent? And when the defense wanted to bring this up, the prosecution shot it down. So what do you think about the dog handler? I mean, there's so much crazy in this case that I think if a lot of people knew that there were all these contradictions and all this weirdness going on, that they'd almost demand another trial. What do you think about the dog handler? You know, working with the police before T, as well as I know, that scent dogs can be easily mistaken. You know, I grew up in a mountainous state where scent dogs were easily let off the trail because they were more interested in the scent of a rabbit than finding the scent of a person. On top of this, we have a dog who failed certification. So they give him the scent of Lacey, this, well, they give the dog the scent of Lacey. 
And who knows? They could be tracking, you're right, Scott's scent, because Scott and Lacey live together. Scent can contaminate clothes, contaminate shoes. It could be easily um, distracted by Scott's scent. Uh, absolutely, I agree with that. And another thing is, a big thing is that the prosecution made such a big hoo-ha over is that um, Scott had Lacey, who at the time was 150 pounds, in the boat with five weights attached to her. And he was able to get that body over the boat and into the water with no problem. They even had people come in to say that this was absolutely possible. They had fishermen come in and say that they've had 100-pound sturgeons that they threw over the boat and that it would not have tipped the boat. It would have not been a problem. But Mark Garagos, who is Scott's lawyer, had purchased a similar boat, put it in the bay with just a 100-pound weight. And every time the guy tried to throw the weight over the side of the boat, the boat tipped over. And it did that four times, three of those times, he almost drowned. I, I don't know. The, here's another contradiction that I'm talking about, where the prosecution is saying that it's absolutely impossible, and the defense is saying that it's, it's completely possible. I mean, it tipped over four times. I mean, they did it every single time. So what do you think about the whole boat thing? I have also seen um, videos talking about this controversy. Um, I have a few questions uh, about this. So if Scott did it, not only am I curious to uh, know how he got Lacey into the water, but how he even got her into the boat in the first place. Uh, a pregnant woman is very heavy. So let's just say he had at least one other person helping him, putting her in the boat. Uh, because if he was dragging this pregnant woman into the boat with all of these weights, how can he carry her by himself? With the weights added onto her pregnant weight, it, it's unbelievable how heavy she probably was. I, I don't believe she could have done this. He could have done this on his own. So he gets her and this other helper in the boat, and they set off in the water, Maybe this extra weight of an extra person would have leveled the boat enough and they could have put her in the water together without tipping over the boat. See, now that to me would make sense of how that's the only way they could do it. But we happen to know that Scott's neighbor saw him right before he left that morning putting umbrellas in the back of his truck, and he was by himself. We also happen to know that he was seen at Berkeley Marina launching his boat, and he was by himself. So that's how we know there wasn't another person. But you're right. To me, that would be the only way that I see that he could have done it, like, throwing her in the water. And I'm not saying that it's impossible for one person to do this. I'm sure there's fishermen that can get in their little fishing boat smaller than Scott's boat that probably doesn't even have a motor. And they put gators and everything else in them boats and that doesn't tip over. I get what you're saying. But Mark's lawyer had did it exactly like the prosecution is saying it was done and the boat tipped over four times. So you're right. I believe it would have took another person. And since we know that Scott was by himself, it just doesn't seem possible. It just doesn't that he did that by himself, a pregnant woman with five weights attached to her. I, I just don't see how it was done. I do not see how that's possible. We all know from the evidence photos, if you've been following this case, that they that the prosecution and the detectives claimed that there were six anchors made at Scott's warehouse and that there was only one of them left and that five were gone. And they say this because they found one anchor and then they found round impressions on the concrete and concrete dust of what they believe to have been five more anchors. Now I've seen the photo and it doesn't look like there was five more anchors sitting there it just looked like dust but that's me you know that's my opinion but they're saying that the anchors the five anchors were attached one each to the leg one each to the hands and one to the head and that would exclaim only the torso 
being found. I don't know because they brought in experts that say it doesn't work like that. You know, fish don't attack like that. You know, that body doesn't do that. They've had bodies that have been found underwater that have been anchored down for years and they don't detach like that. And then the prosecutor is saying it's absolutely possible and they bring on their own witnesses and, and it's just a big contradiction in court. He say, she say, this witness says this, this, this witness says that this this expert says this that this expert says that so I mean even that should have just been you know what we can't come up with anything that's viable so we'll just get rid of this part of the testimony because nobody can figure out what's going on but what do you think about the anchors on the body and where they say they were placed and that only the torso came out what do you think about that well here's the thing um why didn't he use the six anchor? I'm curious to know that was the body too heavy for him and so he only used five. You would think he would attach one around her waist or around the torso, you know, maybe under the breast to tie it down. Because she's pregnant, they could easily identify her torso this way, you know, it's a missing pregnant woman. It's an interesting why he didn't even out her body a little bit more. But then again, maybe her body was much too heavy for him with all six anchors. Um, also, um, about all of this contradiction evidence, it really depends, in my opinion, and, um, you know, working with the police. And I know you worked with police, missing persons. You've dealt with bodies being found in marshes and water before. You know how any little change in the water could affect the body differently. Um, also, the marine life in the water can affect the uh, body differently. You know, how long the body was in the water affects it differently. You know, the body starts to bloat and decompose almost right away in the water. So all this contradiction evidence, you know, there's probably truth somewhere in between what both of the witnesses are saying and experts are saying. So while we're talking about the torso, let's talk about how the bodies were found. Now, the very first body that was found was Connor's body, which was Lacey's unborn child. And it was found by a dog walker on Richmond shoreline, which, of course, is part of the San Francisco Bay where Scott said he went fishing. Now, the next day... The torso of Lacey was found by another dog walker about a mile apart, still San Francisco Bay. And, of course, both bodies were confirmed to be Lacey and Connor. So a dog walker found both of them, different dog walkers. That, to me, was like, what? <laughs> there must be a lot of people walking their dogs, you know? That, that right there got me because I was like, I don't know anything about this place, but there's apparently a lot of dog walkers. But so after the bodies were found, they were hot to get an arrest warrant for Scott. Okay, now, this is again just what makes me crazy and cringe because where I live in most places, it doesn't work like this. You don't just go arrest a husband because the bodies of Lacey and Connor were found because you still don't know if he did it or, you know, if he's responsible, but they were already ready to arrest him and the prosecutor said, hey, wait. We're going to wait until they're confirmed to be that, and then you can arrest him. So we talked about before where the media already had him as a bad guy. The, the police were already ready to convict him the very first time that they heard about this case and went to interview him and said that he was acting weird. Every, in everybody's opinion, in everybody's mind, he was already guilty, and they just wanted his head. Now, this is what pisses me off, not because at this point he's guilty or innocent, but because he's being tried without a trial, and he, they're ready. they're ready for him. So four days after... They confirmed the bodies. The prosecutor's like, okay, they're confirmed. Go get him. And so, they, oh, well, you know what? Let me rephrase that. Because the prosecutor said they couldn't arrest him until the bodies were confirmed. So they were telling him. They were telling him around San Diego, watching his every move, keeping an eye on him. So when the prosecutor said, yes, it's go time, they could go ahead and stop him. 
and arrest him. He was trying to go to the golf course to go golfing with his dad and his brother. I know what you're thinking, golfing, your wife's missing, but in his mind he's saying that it was an escape from the madness and he just wanted some time with his family before stuff got crazy. So he calls his brother and he's like, I can't make it. There's the media following me. They're acting crazy. So the police are actually following Scott, but he thinks it's the media. So he's driving crazy, trying to lose him, circling around. And he finally decides, you know what, I'm just going to go golfing. I'm just going to go to the golf course and they're just going to have to harass me. Well, at this time, the police are saying he's driving recklessly. He's acting like a maniac and we're just going to go ahead and stop him and arrest him even though the results aren't back. So Torrey Pines Golf Club at April 18th, 2003, four days after Lacey's found, they arrest Scott. Now at the time of his arrest, he has blonde hair, okay? He has a beard and a mustache, both blonde, dyed blonde. He has camping gear, $15,000, four cell phones, and his brother's ID. And he claims to have had his brother's ID because he gets a discount after, at the golf club. So let's talk about this. I, one, think that they never should have been telling Scott. They shouldn't have been worried about what he's doing until they had conclusive evidence that he was a main suspect it was time to go get him because they had some type of evidence that he was involved in the murder of Lacey which at this point they still don't have anything but suspicion now you can arrest somebody on suspicion and hold them for 72 hours I get that I know that I went through that but what really did it for the media is when they got him amber he had bleached his hair blonde and he said it was because he was trying to escape the media and become less looking like scott peterson and more looking like somebody else so the media wouldn't recognize him what do you think about all this craziness going on with the bodies being found and him being arrested and he has all this stuff on him and his hair is blonde i mean what's going on i go back and forth on this do I believe him when he says, well, I want the le media to leave me alone, so I dyed my hair blonde? Do I believe him? Because you don't have to dye your hair blonde to have the media not recognize you. You could do other things to have the media leave you alone. Um, you could go somewhere to a friend's house that the media doesn't know about to chill. Why do you have four cell phones on you? Is it because um, th did he think the police, you know, bugged his phone and that he wanted to make calls, you know, with um, untraceable numbers, you know, his brother's ID on him? Okay, he wanted a discount. Um, so obviously he thought this over. He has answers to everything why he has all of this stuff. Why does he carry such a large amount of money? Now, some people might think he's going to run. Uh, that he was preparing to leave. However, he was playing golf. This behavior is a little eccentric, in my opinion. Because if he really was going to run, he would have left already and not seen playing golf. But he has all these things on him. Yeah, and you know, the $15,000, a lot of people wanted to know what that was for. And his mother actually came forward after the time of the arrest and told the police that they have a joint bank account. And she accidentally, now Amber, I'm, I'm going to say this with a straight face. She accidentally withdrew $15,000 from their account and wanted to give it back to him in cash because the banks were closed. Now, Amber, let me tell you something, girl. You are my sister. If we had a joint bank account together, I'm not going to accidentally withdraw $15,000. I may accidentally withdraw five over the amount, which now I'm going into your money, or I may accidentally pay a bill and it came out of you just deposit your check and mine hadn't hit yet. That's understandable. But Amber, how in the world do you accidentally withdraw $15,000? People do not accidentally withdraw 15 grand. Let me ask you this. So just say 
Yeah, I accidentally drew 15 grand and I give it back to you. What would be the first thing you would do with such a large sum of cash? Would, would you be carrying it, it around in your purse? No, I would put it in a deposit envelope and I would take it right back to the bank and I would make sure that, you know, them little deposit things you can get, you could do that. Now, say you don't want to do that because you don't know if the bank's going to get it. I'm going to go home and put it in a safe. I'm going to put it in my parents' safe. I'm not going to have it on me. But she claims, she claims that she had seen him that day and that the banks were closed for the weekend and that she had no way to put it back in the bank so she gave it to him and told him look i'm sorry i over withdrew all this money i think his family or he was going to run and you're right why would he be playing golf exactly he would not be playing golf if he was trying to run but let's think about this maybe like he said he was going to spend time with his family what if this was for all of them to get together and discuss what he was going to do and for him to say goodbye see we don't know we don't know what this last golf meeting was really about are you really going to go play golf or are we all going to sit down and talk and act like we're playing golf innocently when we're really having this conversation about what we're going to do because our houses might be bugged or our phones might be bugged so we have to meet somewhere where we know we can have this conversation out on the golf course where there's no cameras and there's no microphones do you see what i'm saying well, absolutely, because um, the only way I believe he wasn't running yet is that he had unfinished business. You know, maybe he was going to plan to have a conversation to tell them where he was going to go, maybe um, setting up times that he was going to call with one of his cell phones. Right. I completely agree. So, okay, so let's talk about the arrest. Okay, so they arrest Scott. He's charged with the murder of Lacey and her unborn son. He's brought before the judge where he pleads not guilty. And, of course, we talked about the whole Amber thing and, and the witnesses that, that, you know, the police didn't pay attention to and, and how the media is already convinced that Scott's guilty and Scott's weird behavior and the, and the phone calls between him and Amber, which were weird. But you know what? I, I want to say this. When all the phone calls were played in the court between Amber and Scott, not once did he say anything bad about Lacey. Not once did he talk about their relationship in a weird way. He always said, I'm still trying to find her. I know I shouldn't have cheated on her. I was weak. I love Lacey. Uh, you know, I would never hurt her. He never swayed away from that. No matter how much Amber persisted that he answered these questions, he never said anything bad about Lacey. Now, could this be because he's, he's cautious of what he's saying? Or is he really just got his guards down and doesn't have anything bad to say because he didn't do anything and this is just one huge ass coincidence. I mean, if you really put all the evidence together, it's really not much that the prosecution had to say he was guilty, except that he cheated on his wife and that he went fishing at the Berkeley Marina. Other than that, there was nothing else. There's nothing. There's nothing in the house that they found. There, there was one black hair around a pair of pliers, but that could be transfer. That could, that could just be an explanation. Maybe the pliers were once at the house. Maybe Lacey used them to get a nail out of the wall, or maybe she used them on something, or maybe the hair was on Scott, and maybe they got on the pl I mean, who knows? I mean, there's no explanation for that. You can't prove there was six anchors. There's never any photo of there ever being six anchors, except they're saying that there might have been some dust on the ground. You have all these witnesses saying that they saw Lacey. You have the police discrediting these witnesses when they're adamant that it was Lacey and Mackenzie. She walked a lot. They know who she is. They're not stupid. They know who they saw. You've got this one witness coming forward saying she put the dog in the yard at, at 1018. Who in the world knows what they did at 10? 18, maybe around 10, 15, maybe around 10, 30, maybe around closer to 10. But who says 10, 18? Honestly, come on now. It's weird because 
having no evidence and everything being circumstantial, which it was, and having the media basically convict him already before there was ever a trial or anything else, I find it weird that he wasn't more confident in his case and in his lawyers to where he felt like he had to run. His lawyer was Mark Garagos, apparently one of the best lawyers to the stars at the time. The prosecution had nothing. So what was going on behind closed doors that they didn't let anybody know about that Scott was scared enough to leave? What do you think about that, Amber? He never confessed. No. Okay. So he doesn't have one of those false confessing cases. No. So he's talking to Amber Fry, and she's clearly upset and feels betrayed. And he never says anything bad about Lacey. Yeah, the police have always had suspicions about him. You know, they went through his house. They didn't find anything suspicious. How did she die? They, they never found the crime scene. Some people suspect him uh, smothering her. But I never really found clear police um, interviews that um, say how they really knew how he killed her. They don't have a weapon that he used. So this is really bizarre to me. Now, granted, they have witnesses claiming they saw her walking the dog. Um, These witnesses believe wholeheartedly it was the same day she disappeared, not the day before. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Right. Okay. Now, witnesses and false memories are common. Um, of course, we have already discussed the woman saying, okay, you know, they, she put the dog back in the yard at 1018. Granted, again, I can't tell you what I did at 1018 yesterday. I couldn't tell you what I was doing at that time. I don't remember. So this is all circumstantial. Why did he want to run, sis? I don't know. Maybe because the police have been pressuring him, the journalists have been harassing him, maybe he was afraid of people thinking that he was going to be guilty. However, if he was going to run, it makes him look more guilty. And that's just my opinion. It's it's absolutely crazy. It, it just is. Oh, and let's not even talk about during the trial, how many jury members left. I think it was four in all, and one of them was actually the foreman, and the foreman got dismissed, he claimed, because he was being threatened by another juror because he wanted to go over the evidence all over again because he was convinced there wasn't enough to convict Scott. So it was like every time a jury member said, I don't think he did it, they found a reason to dismiss him and bring in somebody who did think he did it, which is why juries are not selected for their biased opinion in the first place. But this is what's happening clearly in front of everybody and nobody saying anything. As a matter of fact, juror number eight, let's talk about him because he was actually heard in the bar by the bartender. Now this is hearsay because when the bartender went to court for the hearing on the juryman, he pleaded the fifth and so it was thrown out but what apparently was said that is the bartender overheard juror number eight and some of the other jurors drinking the night before they were to hand down the sentencing for scott and he was saying that we're going to fry that guy you know we're going to give him the death penalty we're going to hang him he was basically announcing this to the jury people anybody else that could hear them they were obviously all drinking And when he came forward and told one of the lawyers that he heard these jury people, one of the lawyers said, well, I've got to tell the judge. So the judge gathers up all the jury members, you know, into this little hearing and wants to talk about what's all being said and wants to see if we're going to have a hung jury or something. And when they get the bartender on the stand, the bartender pleads the fifth. And they have to throw it out so juror number eight, instead of getting excused or there being a hung jury, gets to go right back to the jury room and that part of it is dismissed. Now, 
I'm calling BS because why, how in the world would the bartender even know who that was or what they were talking about unless it was really going on? The jury members and all that were not all known to the public at that time. So how would this bartender know unless it was really going on? And the fact that he was able to plead the fifth, he should have been held in contempt of court. He should have been held for something, obstruction of justice or something, because that is a serious accusation and something should have been done. So, jury number eight should have been took off the jury regardless, just because all this nonsense was going on. Remember when one of the jury members were dismissed because he was seen at the metal detector accidentally talking to Lacey's brother and they dismiss him so something as small as that gets somebody dismissed but being drunk in a bar talking about the verdict before it's even handed down is not grounds for dismissal I mean this is some BS going on with just the jury what do you think's going on with that this is not okay in my opinion if this actually really happened because I don't know if you've ever been on jury duty before, but I had family members called to jury duty, and even if they fart wrong, they could get dismissed. This is how serious it is to be a jury member. Unfortunately, this was a high-profile case. High-profile cases make jury members miserable. No one wants to be a jury member. I don't know anyone I've ever met who was a jury member saying, yeah, I get to go do jury duty. Nobody wants to do jury duty. It disrupts your life. You're controlled. You can't talk to anybody about the case. Um, absolutely not, because if you're caught doing it, you will have serious consequences. So having this person be drunk, I don't even know why that person would even be there. And I don't understand why, if this really happened, something wasn't done. It's absolutely terrifyingly wrong. Well, apparently after that happened and the foreman got dismissed, it was 24 hours after they bring a new juror in. After the foreman gets dismissed, they bring a new juror in and 24 hours later, they're ready with the verdict. Now, Scott's lawyer, Mark, has already went back to L.A. because he's thinking they're going to take a week to two weeks to try to figure out this whole verdict thing. It's going to take forever. And so he goes back to L.A. So when 24 hours later the verdict comes in, Scott's lawyer's not even there. And Scott has to go before with the lawyer's assistant. So, okay. So on December 13, 2004, he was sentenced to death. They finally said, look, you know, we believe him to be guilty, and now it's sentencing, and now they said we're just going to sentence him to death. So here's my question. He cheated on his wife, but is that cause for the death penalty? Because if the death penalty was for anyone who had cheated on their wife, half the men in America, half the men in the world would be on death row, okay? Where is the evidence? that says Scott should be on death row, besides that he cheated on his wife. There are seven or more witnesses that were never interviewed by the prosecution or police. Okay, if you break down this case, piece by piece looking for evidence, there's absolutely none. So what was this man convicted on? There's no proof he did it. There's no proof that she was in the boat and that he threw her in the bay with these alleged five weights that he allegedly made in his warehouse. There's people that saw Lacey after Scott left that day, was seen by people leaving, can prove he was on his phone, hitting and pinging on cell towers. He can prove he was at his warehouse. He can prove he was at Berkeley Marina. He was seen at Berkeley Marina by himself. Where is the evidence? Where is it that says, oh, my God, here's the crime scene. Here's what happened. Oh, my God, he did it. Scott Peterson is a jerk. He cheated on his eight-month pregnant wife, and I am not okay with that. But that does not 
make him a murderer. And one thing I wanted to bring up in this conclusion video, which I ended up not talking about because I couldn't find all the facts and pieces on it that I want, is six months before Lacey went missing, another pregnant woman that was about eight or nine months along went missing, and her torso washed up in the exact same bay. Now, I know if y'all Google that, you will find it. It's absolutely true, and it absolutely happened. Is it just a coincidence that Lacey ended up the same way? So what is Scott, a copycat killer? I mean, this is just ridiculous. So so I, I don't know. So let's go to the final conclusion of our opinion of Scott Peterson's guilt or innocence, Amber. Who wants to go first? You want to go first? You want me to tell you what I think first? You tell me what you think first. I think he's innocent. I think he's the biggest jerk that ever walked this entire earth. I think he's the biggest cheater, and somebody needs to kick his you-know-what for doing it. But I do not think he murdered his wife. And I do know that he told Amber that on December 9th his wife was missing or he lost his wife and this would be the first Christmas without him. And I know a lot of men that lie and say some crap like that. It doesn't always happen to coincidentally become true. That's just crazy. That to me was insane. And I don't think he ever in a million years would have thought something like that would have happened. But I do think he had probably either planned on divorcing her after she had the baby, or he was just basically cheating with Amber, thinking he wouldn't get caught. Like he said all along, he was just weak and he was arrogant, and he just thought he wouldn't get caught. And he hadn't ever planned on being with Amber, but he was cheating with Amber because Lacey was pregnant. And after the baby was born, he didn't plan on being with Amber anymore. So I don't know who to believe on that. But I do know that for me to say that the man is guilty, I need to see some evidence. And I just don't see it. What do you think, Amber? Well, I think he's an arrogant, selfish man. Do I think he's a jerk? Yes. However, I could not find any evidence of a crime scene. I don't know what weapon was used to kill her. It's hard for me to say that he murdered her because there's no crime scene that links him to her murder. His actions are very suspicious, but I don't think just because he's a cheater, he's a murderer. I need more proof in order to, to surely say that he's guilty. I agree. And base, what we're basing our opinions on are the facts of the case and what isn't there. And what isn't there is evidence. Do I know 100% that Scott didn't do it? Well, no. But is there proof that he did? No. And that's what the jury should have been looking at. They should have been looking at, is there enough evidence? They took a whole bunch of little circumstantial evidence, and they built a ladder with it. And by the time the jury got to the top of that ladder, they felt he was guilty. But you have to look at the rungs of that ladder. He's a cheater. He got caught with this stuff in the car. He dyed his hair blonde. I mean, this is not enough proof to bring reasonable i mean there's reasonable doubt here people come on now this there's there's no evidence you know the man could have murdered her but what we get in america is a fair trial and this man was convicted of being guilty before he even hit his first trial date and that's the problem because if it can happen to somebody else it can happen to you it can happen to anybody again we are basing our conclusions, our opinions on the facts of the case. And the facts of the case don't show any evidence. It's a lot of circumstantial BS is what it is. But it's not enough to convict somebody of murder. He was convicted solely on the fact that he was a cheater and the media went wild. And that's what it was based on. And, that, and that's my opinion, you know? Is he where he's supposed to be? I don't know. But the problem is you don't know either, and there's not enough evidence to put him there. And that's the problem. I think maybe his trial would have gone a little bit differently if he was tried in a different state where they could find jury members that didn't know much about him. I think that they should have got a change of venue over to Arizona or Nevada or somewhere like that. I think that... 
he was convicted. The media had him convicted. Even before he was actually arrested, they said he did it. Let's get him. What's the problem? The police needed to arrest this man because the public was going crazy because the media portrayed him as a killer walking around free and they wanted his hide and that's why he got convicted he did not get a fair trial like he said himself when the verdict was read he almost passed out he just sat there just stunned because one if you're innocent you think justice works you're never going to be convicted of a crime that you didn't commit because the police would know better just like we talked about in Darley Routier you would think the police would know better and that it would take a crap load of evidence and proof that you did something but we look at cases like this and we understand that that's not the case they'll convict you solely because they think that you did it and they'll build circumstantial BS cases and they will lock you up. If it can happen to these people, it can happen to you. We need a better justice system. We need evidence. Evidence needs to speak. And if there is no evidence, sometimes we have to wait until there is. If that means the case goes cold for 20 years, it just goes cold for 20 years. You should not be locking up innocent people. Now, there's a lot of people that are going to show hate for this video because we don't believe he's guilty. But we don't believe he's guilty because there's no evidence. If you want us to believe he's guilty, show us something other than circumstantial. We need to see proof, and that should be for everybody. I think that Scott deserves a new trial. What do you think? I believe he does. Unfortunately, I, I don't think he's a nice man. However, just because he's an arrogant, selfish person, I do believe he deserves a fair trial. Thank you for watching and sharing. And do not forget to subscribe and hit that notification bell so you will be notified immediately when the next one is uploaded. And as always, if you have a case you think we would be interested in covering, you can submit it to us via the link in the description box. Bye. Your voice used to keep me warm in the cold of the night.